and welcome to episode two of Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. Hi, I'm Jay Pryor, life coach, speaker, and author of Lean Inside, Seven Steps to Personal Power, a practical guide to transformation. My definition of transformation is chipping away at everything that is not your highest, best self. In our podcast, Doing the Work with Jay and Becca, we take on personal transformation to have you show up powerfully in your life and business. And I'm Becca Booth, marketing strategist focusing on strategy, sales, and social. And I'm the guinea pig. So I'm the one doing the work right along with Jay, and I'm the fresh face to it. So I'm still new at all of this stuff and learning along the way. So I'm ready to learn along with you. Listen to our podcast, and we know our commitment to you is that we leave you inspired, lifted up, and no matter what, knowing that you're on the right path as long as you're willing to take progress, not perfection, to create your life exactly the way you want it. All right, so here we go. Welcome. Hi. We are so excited. Yes, so we are talking today with Erin Brown. Um, and she is a writer, speaker, and activist from Lawrence, Kansas, here where we are located. Um, and we are super excited to talk to her today. Um, she's just a complete um, complete inspiration to me and has really changed a lot of my f- way that I frame my thinking a lot um, in terms of um, the work that we do. and. And she focuses her work on women and autonomy um, and has books and blogs and all this stuff. So I'm super excited to get to talk to her today. So welcome. Thank you. Hello. We're happy to have be with you. And we have your books, my brand new book in my hand, and that's so beautiful. I'm so excited to share this with people. Thank you. I'm so excited that it exists. <laughs> yeah, Me bet. too. Do you want to start by telling us a little bit about the new book? Yeah, so it's called Letters to Lola, and it's a series of letters to my daughter that is both advice and self-disclosure. Both of those things are important to me because I think, um, first of all, so much of women's stories and women's history is lost because we're asked to be silent about all of our experience. And I wanted to be honest with her about where I had been and who her mother is um, is also mindful that I don't know how much time I have and I hope to be an old rebel rouser but if I'm not I wanted to have given all of this to her um, ahead of time Uh, it's been eight years in the making and it finally just like struck me that it needed to happen because I wanted to produce this book long before she was a teenager both for her own privacy Um, and because I wanted to have this all written down before we got there so that the advice I had and the things that I told her were not, you know, in her mind, like, you just don't like my boyfriend or girlfriend or (laughs) whatever it is. (laughs) Um, So that's what it is. And I also have a workbook on my website for mothers to do the same work. Um, So it's both a personal project for my daughter, but also in the interest of getting women to tell their stories. Nice. So awesome. So incredible. So... I mean, in the book, you are uber honest. Like, you are talking about some really tough shit that, um, you know, I think a lot of us don't don't know how to or don't want to or are afraid to approach with um, our, our daughters because there's some stuff in there that 
um, is hard to talk about. Um, and that's one of the things Jay and I were talking about before we started the interview is that you are one of those people who's just not afraid to talk about the hard stuff. You like really um, are open to and willing to and fight for talking about the hard stuff. So how did, I mean, tell us a little bit about that process for you of, um, you know, you're looking at your daughter and you're going to be telling her some, some big stuff in this book, but you, you're telling so many more people also. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts around that. Well, part of it is permission giving for other people. When I first started my work and was talking about shame around my body and body image stuff, it was before, now there's like tons of people doing that, which is so great. Um, but it was before I was aware that there were body image activists and there wasn't really a conversation around this. It was just we all secretly hate ourselves. And it was surprising at first, and now nothing surprises me, <clears throat> how many emails and how much feedback I got were people who said, you're telling my story, that's exactly how I feel. Mm -hmm. And so I'm never afraid to share things about myself because I know I'm never really alone in it. And it gives other people permission to let go of their own shame around it, which allows for being proactive, you know, um, regardless of whether we're talking about depression or PTSD or whatever it is. If you are afraid to talk about it, if you're stuck in it, um, there's no moving forward. And so it gives more room for productivity because silence and shame is not productive, even if if people choose not to be so public with all of their information as I am, um, getting it out and finding ways to work through things has to be done without silence. Yeah. Totally. Well, and, you know, I love that uh, you're willing to be vulnerable about it and put yourself out there. And it's interesting to me that you say there's lots of people talking about it now because even from my perspective, I mean, just from you're the first body image activist I knew. And I do know that there's a couple of others out there that I'm conscious of. But I would assert that there's a whole population of people out there who aren't conscious that there are body image activists like you. Right. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to see that because I'm so entrenched in it now, and you probably find that with your own work yeah. too. Like everyone's doing this, but then there's so many people that don't know. Yeah. So. Well, and I feel that way about yeah. the trans the transgender piece. Like I am always like, well, big you know, trans is not a big deal, and then I'll run into you know, then I'm realizing. Well, clearly it is. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit of stuff going on right now. <laughs> but you know, I've been out for 15 years, so it's like not a, you know, it's not, it, for me it's old news, you know, so. Uh, but it, it just goes to show you how much there's still, this layers, right? Layers of learning for us all. Right, and so much repeating, yes. you know, which is important, and that's something that I have to remember in my own writing. It's like, why well, said that? seven years ago yeah. <laughs> you probably need to say <laughs> yeah I know right yeah, yeah. probably important well and you are okay. so bold and I think you and I both end up in this category sometimes because for me to be authentic people you know think I'm brave for I think it's just me being me and I think you probably you right. get that you feel the same way um, but just last night we were talking um, when we were out at happy hour and you mentioned talking at the country club about rape culture Yes. <laughs> and I was like, I love you, Aaron Brown. <laughs> well, it's interesting because everywhere I go, I talk about sexual assault. Because everywhere I go, I'm talking to women. And so I can know 
without knowing anything about the audience, that there will be a huge section of that population that has the same experience. And to me, to not talk about sexual assault in a conversation about body image and autonomy is missing a huge component. Like, it's not about the pursuit of pretty or Photoshop. It's about all of these other reasons that we've learned to feel ashamed in our bodies. Um, <clears throat> but everywhere I go, people are more comfortable thinking about the problem as being isolated to somewhere else. And so when I talk about, you know, all of my friends growing up were assaulted, every woman in my family was assaulted, then it's like, gosh, what's going on in Lawrence, Kansas? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, look at your own community. Yeah. So when given the opportunity to speak in Lawrence, I like to bring up all of that and say, this is what's happening right here. And what are you as an individual going to do to change the conversation around yeah. this? I actually, since we spoke last, um, we were talking about how I was going to have to, well, I felt compelled to tell my daughter some of these stories before I published them because I realized that while this is for her, and it's for her in a couple of years really was the thought I had, I didn't want to publish a book for her that was essentially a book of secrets at this right. point. Mm. And so we started the conversation about the tough things in the book. And so I told her that mommy's used drugs before. And she said, I know, I saw a picture of you smoking a cigarette at Grandma's. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good nugget-sized beginning of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I told her I had some friends that were mean to me that I couldn't be friends with anymore. She thought that was really sad because she related to that. And then I told her that um, somebody had touched me in a way that I didn't want them to, and they didn't stop when I asked them to. And she was kind of quiet for a moment. And I said, you know, that's probably as much as we need to talk about it today. Unless you have any questions, I'll always answer your questions. And she said, yeah, because, you know, Mommy, I'm very sensitive. <laughs> I know. Love it. And then she said, I do have one question. Why would someone do that? Mm. And that's the right question. Yeah. That's not the question that the rest of us are asking. No. You know, what, we're learned, what we learned to ask is, why were you in that situation? That woman who was just abducted here in Lawrence, the comment section oh on the gosh. journal world, is awful. Why did she go there? Why was she getting high? Why was she in a trailer with him? Like, what all of these questions about her when the only actual question that my seven-year-old knows to ask because she's not ingrained in this culture yet is, why would someone do yeah, that? Wow. so important. And just as a little... Um, update of, so that people understand what we're talking about. There was a local story where a young woman in college was picked up. She met a person on Tinder, which is a popular dating app. Um, and the person picked her up and uh, basically abducted her for a week, was it? Um, seven days, I think. Yeah. Um, and held her hostage while uh, physically assaulting her. At this point, and the thing that I was really shocked about when reading these stories was um, there's no there's no rape charges, uh, which right. I think is interesting. Um, and I think that that also speaks to the why would someone do that? Um, that was the first thing that popped into my head was where are the rape charges? We've got you know kidnapping and we've got um, assault and those type of things, but there's no rape charges, and you can't. And so, are we already assuming that this woman was, through all of this process, that that didn't occur? Or that, are we assuming because she went there willingly that it wasn't rape? Well, it's probably just logistically easier to charge. Like, 
I think I think it's like 17% of convicted rapists see jail time at all. Oh my gosh. So they're going for the charges that are that are easier, which is insane. So when you say um, like, I just put my man brain on for a second here because because <laughs> I went because I do think that there is a there is a world of especially women who are activists and feminists and you know the world that I live in which is different than the world that other women live in and some and for sure different than tons of men live in that if you say the word rape culture to men they don't even know what you're talking about right and so will you explain that to me like I'm five <laughs> yes. for the okay. people who hear that and go I don't know what you're talking about like I know what you're talking about but I just you know I had this moment of being like I want you to get be more specific about that for me. Rape culture is is the culture that we live in, which is such that in the event of a sexual assault, and in most cases, overwhelmingly most cases, um, a man assaulting a woman or a, a girl, um, the immediate response is to place blame on the girl. Right. And there's a lot of subtle ways that we do this, including asking what she was wearing, why did she go there, you know, was all she of drinking? that. Was she drinking? Um, even in the court system, the basic way that you get someone off for rape is you find out the sexual history of the victim and use that against them. And so it's all about blaming women for their own assault. And the smaller ways that we do this is like dress codes that are only enforced on girls and using language like it's distracting to the men. And all of that, while is completely damaging to women, the way that it pisses me off the most is I feel like men should be angry about this because the assertion is that men have no control in the face of skin, that they can't, they can't control their bodies from violence when they see something that they find sexually arousing for some well, reason. Well, then it also puts rape into, it also makes rape into sex, a sexual encounter. Right. Um, and I think that that's one of those things where it's like, well, the, you know, somebody having their their shoulders bared is distracting to men, and therefore they can't control themselves, and that's what leads to inappropriate touching or behavior. And you use words like inappropriate, and you know, sex and sex and those type of things when that's not what rape is. You know, that's it's not right. about you know sexual intercourse. It's about a power play, and and I feel like that's one of those things where we as women. I, I totally agree. Like, I want my husband to, like, shake his fist and get angry that somebody would think that he couldn't control himself in front of a 12-year-old girl who has on leggings. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and our expectations are just so low. You know, there are zero men that I know and love and respect who I think would have ever accidentally quote-unquote assaulted someone you know um, or cat-called people I mean all of these ways that women's autonomy is taken away from them um, assert that men just cannot control themselves that they're just animals and we use the language like if you jump into a pool of sharks and you get mad that <laughs> you were bitten or whatever and it's like are men sharks yeah is that what we believe about men? Because it's not what I believe about men. And so as damaging as it is to women who are abused, I also think it's damaging this idea that men have no self-control. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you. That's brilliant. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Especially yeah. from that perspective. So, so I, I want to go back to your first book that 
I'm not that we just came out in actual book, right? Because it was an ebook before. Yes, it got was. It. So, um, because you got your start around body image with, and with your first book being called As Is, and mm -hmm. I know that um, the last time we talked, and the reason I want to bring this up is because I don't want to miss this that you said last time. So I just uh, we're always talking about the work of transformation and and personal development and taking ourselves on. And one of the things you said last time we spoke was something around how um, your body image or <coughs> weight loss or, or being fat, as you said, was like a pass. Do you yes. remember that conversation? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So if you'd share a little bit about your, A, your background on, on body image and, and sharing from a weight loss perspective. and But then, you know, because that, that was just fascinating to me and I, I really want to point that. Yeah, so I got started on accident. I had um, a baby on the way, and I was terrified of having a girl for so many reasons, um, mostly because I am not excited about the culture that I have to raise her in, um, but also because I had a background in social work. I knew a lot about childhood development, and I knew as her same-sex parent, I would be her primary role model and teach her what it is to be a woman. And I realized when I found out that I was having a girl for sure, even though I already knew, <laughs> um, was that all I had to teach her was to hate herself. And for the first time in my life, I had some real clarity around that having been the continuing problem throughout my life. Whereas before, I had always blamed my body. And so if I got fired from a job or a boyfriend broke up with me or whatever down I was having in my life, I would always turn to, it's because I'm fat. And if I could just fix this thing about me, everything else would be fine. Which one, was not true. And two, did not give me any accountability for why I might have been fired from a job. Right. <laughs> what yeah. do I need to do to actually find happiness in my life? I just blamed it on my body that I thought something was wrong with and it, it kept me from being accountable for for my life and my own happiness perfect man I really love you such an amazing perspective I think that as a mom of a girl as well I think that there is that moment and I remember it very clearly when I found out that I was having a girl I actually was like I really wanted a girl, like in my, I really, but I was terrified of it at the same time. I was just, so I kind of convinced myself that I was having a boy. Um, and I remember seeing those three little lines on the sonogram and they were like, it's a girl. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was so excited at the same time, like there's this like pit in my stomach, like, oh my gosh, there's so much to be responsible for. <laughs> you know, right. there's, that's just a terrifying thing to send your girl out into the world. And so, you took that as, as I'm going to make me better. Like a call to action. Yes. Like a call to action. So I absolutely believe that you cannot um, teach empowerment. You have to be it. And so I was working to become the kind of woman that I wanted my daughter to look up to because I also realized that I hadn't learned to hate myself from Cosmopolitan Magazine and all of these things that we like to point to and say, quote unquote, society has to change while taking no personal responsibility for how that happens. Um, and realized that I had learned that from my mother. And I have an amazing mother. Like, I really won the lottery and moms. She would have never said anything 
anything bad to me about me, but it was just a very typical household. We grew up eating Weight Watchers meals, and I watched my mom always on a diet and doing calendar math that I still am training myself out of, even though I have no interest in it, where she would look at you know, a high school reunion and then count back the weeks and see how many pounds she could lose by that important time. And so I learned to do the same thing from her. So in order to not do that with my daughter, it wasn't just about censoring myself around her, which I don't think is even real, but about really changing the way that I lived in my body such that she would have a powerful example in her home to combat what she would experience in the culture around her. Um, And so that's where the book came from, is I was doing all of this activism around body positivity and being kinder to yourself and even self-care and exercise, all of these things is not being punishment for your body, but just being basic ways of caring for yourself. And people were saying, but how, but how, but how did you change your mind about yourself? And so the first book, as is, is basically working through all of the thinking errors that I had to work through on my own to get to a place where I could feel comfortable in my skin. And that was about, you know, owning my voice about the way I talked about myself and owning my voice the way I talked about other women was a part of that. And so there's 21 chapters, but they're all um, mindfulness shifts, um, but also what I would call thinking errors, just ways that we've learned to think that don't even make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. And so you took that work and now you, that sort of, this inspiration of being pregnant with a with a daughter has like led to so much more i mean now you are speaking on this topic you've gone you've done you've become a personal trainer i mean there's so many different things that you have done in sort of the wake of that aha wake up moment um and it's it's like been this like a true life-changing pathway but then getting honest with yourself about some of those things, you know, tell us a little bit about like that process for you. I mean, you didn't obviously like wake up one day and go, I'm going to have a daughter. I've got to get better with this. Um, what are some of the things that you did to get yourself? I mean, how, and, and what was that innate? Did you have a coach? I mean, like how many, how did you get to who you are now? I did not have a coach. This is all just like intuitive work. But the main thing was that I really became accountable for all of my life. Like when I hear you say, you know, you did this and that and that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. And before before her, I really would have just called myself a failure. And primarily I would have pointed to my body as the reason that I was a failure. But I dropped out of college. There's just all of these things that I started and didn't finish. I didn't feel... Like I was doing anything successful, um, but I also was not accountable for that at all. I wasn't happy and I wasn't accountable for that at all. And so the first thing that I did for myself that was successful and completely changed my outlook was I stopped talking negatively about myself. Um, And I know Jay talks about this a lot, but I started with just acknowledging how often I was beating myself up or apologizing for my body and in ways that like women just do all of the time sitting down for a meal and explaining how much is on your plate or I haven't eaten all day or (laughs) whatever like no one cares what you're eating stop Uh, and if they do that's their own stuff um 
I started noticing how often I, I belittled myself in the mirror. And rather than go from that to you're the most beautiful vision there ever was, I just started with saying really neutral things to myself. Like, this is what you look like on Friday. And even though that wasn't, you know, the most empowered statement I could make about myself, it's something I could believe that was neutral and not negative. I stopped saying negative things about other women and softening my gaze towards them helped me soften my gaze towards myself. And I spent probably a whole year just on that, just on paying attention to how often these negative thought patterns were popping up in my head and slowly reprogramming them. So much so that now I look in the mirror and I immediately am like, dang, you are banging. Because <laughs> sometimes I take a step back and I'm like, okay, wait. <laughs> today because maybe, maybe I should do a something to feel a little bit like my my default is extremely positive but that was training you know and I love watching my daughter look at herself in the mirror because she does the exact same thing like she's very into herself <laughs> I love it I love that she feels so positively but also has a framework for how to get to positive when she's not there so that was the first thing. Um, exercise was a big part of it for me, learning to be excited about what my body could do, putting myself in my body, listening to my body for the first time in my life. Um, but all of that was kind of a process that started with just stop stopping belittling myself all the time. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say about the exercise part. I think that that was one of those things that I had a, an aha moment listening to you about was... You know, I think that so often when you're talking to somebody who is a personal trainer or health conscious or body positivity or all those things, they um, it's really like this very stick thin person who works out. You know, I, I I don't know how to describe. You know what I'm talking. I don't know. I think women out there understand when you like are looking at a dietitian and she's talking about being healthy and and eating healthy and eating right and all these things and it's like this very specific body type that comes out of that and one of the things you said in a in a speak speaking thing that i saw you at was like if i'm this way if i'm a size six i'm this way if i'm a size 12 this is who i am right now and i accept right. who i am right now was like a huge huge thing for me because it was like I was kept waiting for that moment where it was like, okay, now I'm now I fit into that box of healthy, and I can talk to other people about healthy. Like I didn't think I had permission to talk about my weight loss even, because it was like I'm not perfect yet. Right. Well, and I would assert that most of those women don't feel that way about themselves either. You know, um, I get that from both angles. I get like, of course, you're confident. You look like you do. If if I looked like you, I'd walk around naked all the time, which I don't. I really don't understand that comment. And it's so common. Sorry. <laughs> I was drinking when you said that. I drink a coffee. I almost spit it up. <laughs> Um, also that I do this work to justify my body and how dare I talk about fitness or health when I am, you know, fat and ugly and disgusting. I get both of those things. Um, and I think it's really just another way for us not to be accountable. You know, I work with a lot of those women that you're talking about who are um, beautiful by very traditional standards and thin and fit and all of that. And they, you know, still struggle with issues with their own confidence and have a lot of really valuable information to share. And most of the feedback they get is just like, how dare you? Because you look like you do. And so I can't hear that from you. It's just another way for us not to be accountable for 
the way we treat ourselves, you know? It's like, well, when I'm perfect, then then I'll do that too. Yeah, but. so true. So true. Yeah. Well, you know, what I was just, just going to point to what I love that you said, which always coincides with my work and the the work, personal development work of all kinds, is um, that it sounds like you just made it a matter of, in, of your own integrity. Yes. And that is so, that's exactly for me. And it's almost like we have the exact, we did the same thing where... For me, it became a matter of my own integrity that I wasn't allowed to beat the crap out of myself anymore. Right. And not that I stopped it altogether that day. (laughs) It's a muscle, right? You have to flex that muscle and get better and better at it. But then, so then my next matter of integrity was, and if I mess up, you're not allowed to beat yourself up for messing up. (laughs) Like, you just have to keep moving, progress, not perfection, keep moving forward until it little by little it doesn't occur to me to beat myself up that way anymore um very often i'm not going to say it's gone completely um but not it's 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 a rare day that uh, i want to kick my own ass the way i used to for sure right and for me it's also it's it's a matter of my personal integrity but i feel that the way that we operate within our personal integrity is what creates culture and so i also am very mindful that while the way i talk to myself in my mirror is a gift to myself it is also a gift to others and so long as i continue to have conversations about what's wrong with my body what needs to change this flappy arm thing it's gross all of these conversations we have all the time, I'm contributing 100% to a culture that says I'm only worthy if I get to a perfection that's impossible. I am only valuable if I look a particular way. And so that is, that's a sticking point for me, that what I say about myself in my mirror and to others is not just about how I'm treating myself. It's about what I am contributing to the culture around me. And that's a big thing I talk about all of the time. Like, this is not an isolated offense to you. When you talk about yourself that way to other women, you are spreading that shit everywhere. Yeah, wow. Oh, my gosh, so true. (laughs) So true. Oh, my God, yeah. And it also, even just coming from the perspective that we're all connected, what I love about that, too, is that if we're all connected, then you doing this work for you and for your life and what you do also makes it more possible for other women everywhere to do it. Yes. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, and I think that one of the things that you said, and I I jotted it down, was the softening my gaze toward other women's helped me soften my gaze toward myself, which was like, again, just another one of those Aaron Brown, whoa, I love you. (laughs) You kick ass. You just, you know, like those are those things. Like, I think that there's a conscious, now that I have a conscious effort of like not looking at other women as competitors or looking at other women as um, in judgment and being able to just look at them as who they are for the very first time in my life. Because I don't think that women are raised, we're, we're raised in this in this very competitive way with each other, which I think is very interesting, which is so different than the way boys are competitively raised. Mm -hmm. You know, they're taught, like, beat each other up or, like, fight it out on the football field or, like, boys can be, like, rough and tumble. And girls are taught, like, we judge each other by things that are, like, what their hair looks like today and what their, you know, are they, what their emotional, I don't know, whatever. A bunch of crap. But it it was really, like, looking at other women positively like 
I would never tr I would never say the things to another woman that I say to myself. Like right. if can you imagine like telling your best friend like you're ugly, you're fat, your your arm fat jiggles, like you, you wouldn't do that. Like you don't treat people that way. But we also but mentally even I think I was playing that game. Like, I would look at another woman and say, okay, well, I'm thinner than her. Right. Which is, like, such a bullshit thing. Like, right. it makes me, and like, sick to my stomach now <laughs> that I realize that yeah. I did it. But it's like, eh, yeah. It's like we're so obsessed that we don't measure up that in an effort to feel better about ourselves, we also seek to see how everybody else doesn't measure up. Um, and it's not, that's just disinteresting to me. Like I'd so much rather talk about anything else, (laughs) which is the other thing I, I like who I am so much more. Um, but I also feel like I've become more, more interested in the world around me, which lends to being more interesting. Um, I've done a lot of personal development, but also sought out like really fun new skills. Like my life has opened up hugely because of the emotional energy I'm not putting into beating myself up or judging others anymore, um, which is huge. Like, I, I can just do anything else with my time now. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, that's and the other thing cycle. about, you know, you would never say to somebody else what you say to yourself. Um, a, a shift I'd like to see um, people understand is that when you're saying those things about yourself to other people, you're also saying it about them whether you realize that or not. I've never walked away from a conversation about a woman who was beating up her body and not thought, well, what must she think of me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's absolutely damaging. We just believe that we're in this bubble where we're having a natural reaction to how gross we are when really it's so much bigger than that and absolutely impacts everyone around you, not to mention the way you show up in the world. Like nothing that's important to you can be done well if you're showing up in your body as though it's an apology. Oh, I love that. Ah, another one. There's another Aaron. <laughs> I swear, like, it's just one of those things where, you know, and I, I, I know that people who are listening to this are going to get this. Is like, and I want them to really understand that. Like, go to her blog. Like, read your books. <laughs> because there are so many of those moments. And, and it's one of those things where, like, you just go, amen. Like, yeah. yes. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Like, thank you so much for being willing to to talk about this in this way and it's all these things that we I think that we're so afraid of really talking about and I think it goes back to you know letters to Lola those things that you know we're afraid to talk about where the the, how do you say these things without it making it sound like um the, the the there's I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how to, to say it, but you just do it in this way that it's like, yes, you say the things that all of us are thinking, but we're always like, oh, <laughs> no, we're agree. too polite and nice to talk about that, or we're, it's well, not appropriate. Well, I just don't have thought of it like that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, you know, when I'm with Aaron, I always leave going, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I haven't thought about that, um, which I so appreciate. Uh, something else I want to ask you, so... Um, especially since we're on this topic, it fascinates me. And, you know, it's weird with little kids because you can never tell, you know, especially as a first-time parent. Like, I, you know, sometimes I can make a mountain out of a molehill with little kids. Um, I remember a time when uh, our little kids were talking about 
being adopted and they were saying stuff like you know are we going to get it did we get adopted i don't remember what they said but i remember jessica and i thinking oh god are they having weirdness about being adopted and turns out they were quoting the movie despicable me right <laughs> like you know what i mean i mean it's just easy to sometimes think way too much about what kids say um but the other day i'm in a car with my daughter and she says something to me like i hate my thighs because they're I hate my, my thighs because they they, they feel do. like jello. Hmm. And I so I don't And she's six. Six. Right? Six and a half. So I don't know how to respond to how do I respond to that, Aaron? Help me with this. Like, because I just wanted to say, I mean I didn't even know what to I yeah. I, I, I immediately got into that, oh my god. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like really <laughs> Oh shit. She's six and a half, and she's starting to hate her body already, you know. And I just, I panicked for a second. I didn't know what to say. I was like, "Well, I, I well, why, why is that a bad thing? <laughs> like, you know, like Jello's kind of cool. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. And you know, so, like, yeah, but I, think I know it'll also, come up again because it will. So help I, me, Aaron. I love this, Aaron, too. And I think that you can speak to this too. I think that we live in a culture of that girls are faced with so many of these things. Now that's six and a half, that a girl thinking about her thighs, but it's also the um, you know, your daughter, do you talk about beauty? Do you talk about body? Do you talk about, there's all this stuff that's out there right now that says, do not tell, call your child beautiful. Do not tell them, you know, that they are, um, talk about their looks and those type of things because then we're, you know, scarring them for life, which we're, you know, you just scarred her for life. <laughs> you didn't know what to say. I scarred her for life because I was like, Jello's cool. <laughs> we like Jello. Jello's good. I just wanted to go light with it because, again, I can't tell if she's just being silly or if she's right. actually, that's actually a conversation for her right now. And, and that's what I mean. With little kids, sometimes you can't tell. But, Erin, what, what would you say? Well, I think your reaction there was perfect. I just wrote an article for Girls Gone Strong. It's an organization I'm on the advisory board for about this, like help my kid thinks they're fat. Um, and the first thing that I recommend not doing is saying, no, you're not. Because that's a pretty strong message too. And I think that's what we most jump to because we have this idea that being fat is a terrible thing. So if a kid says, you know, my thighs are like jello, and you no, no, they're not. Your thighs are perfect. <laughs> Which is also demonizing that word and demonizing a body, whether that actually reflects your kid's body or not. Um, I think saying jello's cool is awesome. <laughs> and the main thing that I try to do with Lola is show her a diverse range of what I think is beautiful, um, but also of women doing things, you know? So I have a lot of friends who who are, uh, are professional athletes in different calibers and, you know, different sports. And so I'll show her, like, YouTube videos of, like, an amazing power lifter or a gymnast, you know, and just show her all of these different bodies doing cool things. Um, when it comes to, like, if she was upset that she was short, then I would be, like, Google searching, like, badass short ladies. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> just to show her, like, something that represents the thing that she's insecure about. Being awesome. Yeah. So that's my main thing. And in terms of beauty, and I wrote about this in Letters to Lola, I think this is a values thing for everyone to figure out for themselves. Some people um, are very into that, like, like 
beauty is, was just not a thing we should discuss and, and being beautiful isn't important and, and okay, like I can get with that, but that's not really my value system. I think that we seek beauty in all kinds of ways. We fill our house with things that we think are beautiful. We travel the world to see beautiful things. We enjoy beauty in nature and then we just turn that lens off when we look in our own mirrors. And so I like seeking beauty and admiring beautiful things and my interest in terms of changing beauty um, is about opening that up to include myself, you know, and that really changed for me when I had my daughter because I realized that I just loved looking at her. You know, she was just this beautiful little being, and actually, in hindsight, she was not a cute baby. She looked, <laughs> she looked like a bulldog. She had this like extra flap of skin that my husband was always talking about, and I was like, I <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but it wasn't about comparing her to other babies right. or like wanting to put her in a Gerber commercial right. or like how she measured up. It was just that I loved her. And so I thought she was beautiful. And so that's my interest in beauty is loving myself such that I see myself as beautiful. I hope that she continues to see herself as beautiful. And beautiful is not just, you know, Swedish with a big butt like me. <laughs> Can you imagine loving so, ourselves to so the expansive. Yeah. Can you imagine loving yourself to the degree that you could see yourself as beautiful as you saw your own child, your own baby? Well, and that's the thing about, you know, and I know this brings up a lot of guilt for moms, and it's not about guilt. It's about what you will do from here. But, you know, watching my mother pick herself apart was both seeing the most beautiful woman to me I'd ever seen pick herself apart, but also I look just like her. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so if I'm going to look in my mirror and say, how disgusting, how do I then turn around and tell my daughter, who is the spitting image of me, that she's beautiful? Like, that's not, that's not how it works. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, that, that disconnect. Yeah. Well, and I think that you you said it again there in another again another aha moment I had with you, and you're kind of around that area is that it isn't just about the words that we say or the things that you know that we tell our kids. It's really in our actions. And we were at a J seminar, and and you said uh, we were talking about you know being with your daughter, and that you know it was really about her being able to see you taking care of yourself and that that would show her that taking care of herself was important and that it was something that she should that she's 100% allowed to do um, and I, I think that that was something that you know as parents as, as a mom you know you give 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 to your kids and that was my my whole MO was like you know being selfless in front of them you know like I am constantly turning myself you know, putting myself last while well, I'm teaching her to put herself last and like yeah. what uh, and I can verbalize to her over and over again you are important, you are smart you are beautiful, you can take on the world you can do whatever you want with your life you need to take care of you, you need to you know, do what feels good to you and then if I'm sitting there doing the complete opposite, it doesn't matter N none of those words mattered and it was like, right. okay yeah talk like light switch and it's changed so much for me about how I show up for my daughter now right which means showing up for yourself I love seeing my daughter's little rituals 
she makes little altars to everything, which is just her. I don't, I mean, I, I guess I have a few little things, but she's, she loves little things and setting them up. She has a quiet corner in her room with a vision board and she pulls out these little things when she needs to sit and be by herself. She loves taking fancy baths. She likes her time alone. <laughs> I love it. I love it because those are things I, if I could change anything about my life, and I wouldn't, but if I could just go back and give myself a nugget, I would go back to college, which is when I really just bottomed out in terms of my mental health and, and accountability for myself and, and just be like, go for a walk. <laughs> bath you know like do something nurturing for yourself because I just numbed out with drugs because I was so uncomfortable and I didn't have any skills with which to cope I'd never learned them and so I love watching her you know deal with her own coping through difficult moments and also just like her daily needs for quiet like I, I think that will serve her so well and that's absolutely because it's been patterned for her you know my husband's also very good at taking care of himself she sees this all the time and is very interested in, in her own independent ways of finding these practices um, but if we devote our lives to our children such that we don't take care of ourselves there's there's no showing them how to do that when eventually they are on their own yeah or or I think that that's another part of it is that we're not doing them any favors to to let them know that it's okay to be on their own. I think that there, right. you know, some there's a dependence that can happen when we give ourselves over to our children 100%. <coughs> um, mm-hmm. That then it's like, well, I can't move away from mom. I can't, I can't, you know, make a decision without checking in with my mom first. Um, and and I, that was, I mean, that's definitely the way that. Talk about you know our the way that we looked at our moms and my mom is a very nurturing woman. I mean she is very much about her kids and was very much about and none of us have moved away. Like we're all like still in this like okay we gotta be near mom because she needs to know where her chickens are and like she can take care of us and and I I'll never forget like making the decision where I started to take out um, my my phone and take a picture of my own child in a pair of glasses. Um, that we were picking out to take a picture and send it to my mom to get her approval. Hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is multi-generational. Like, (laughs) that's not right. (laughs) And so I like looked at what, do you want them? Yep, I like them, mom. Cool. Let's go for it. Like, it's your your freaking face. Like, why do I, I don't even, I shouldn't even have an opinion, let alone grandma. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) But I, I just appreciate really that. good at pointing those things out to me too. I uh, I shaved half my head when my best friend was shaving hers for chemo, and I mentioned it to him beforehand, um, like for his approval. I guess yeah. I don't know. I don't. I wasn't even thinking about so many things we do without thinking. And he just looked at me like I had three heads, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't think I get to have an opinion about your hair." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Thank you, thank you for." pointing that out he's he's a smart guy and there's regular opportunities for me to realize that kind of thing when I'm seeking approval for my husband for my appearance and kind of you know um he's never on board with norms of any kind and is constantly questioning and I love that Lola gets to watch that happen um but also that we have such an awesome reinforcer in our house of like but why but why are we doing it this way all the time makes me so happy yeah that's fantastic that definitely well um so you um 
body positivity we've talked about we've talked about letters to to Lola um, you know one of the things that we had when we were sort of talking about um, about having you on and, and and doing an interview with you was was you know the this the idea that um, you and if we've talked a little bit about this, the idea that you guys that you are sort of willing to go where nobody else go to places where nobody else wants to talk about, and one of those we've sort of skimmed over a little bit is that I you know the sexual assault um, and being out there and telling your story, um, but also talking about it in terms of um, of how it affected you and what that meant to you in so many different layers of your life. And I think that that also plays into um, some of the book that, you know, some of the stuff in the book and, and definitely with Letters to Lola. Um, you said you had the conversation with her. What is the next step? You're going to be, there's obviously more to it in this book. You know, you're going to be going on book tour with your daughters, right? Is that still the plan? Mm -hmm. So she's yep. going to be hearing more of the, I mean, potential details of this so this is going to be the you know bigger conversation that you're having with lots of people um, how and how did you get there and what you know what is your thoughts around that in in discussing sexuality and those type of things with your kiddos with especially with our daughters well I don't know how all of that's gonna play out with her but I just aim to be honest and I also trust that she will be able to handle it and I think that it will be easier because we're having the conversation now instead of waiting until I think she's quote unquote ready, um, which for me was way too late. Like I didn't even realize that I was assaulted until years later when in school we talked about um, date rape because I, I had consented to kiss this person and, and then not the rest. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm totally open to having these conversations now and I'm not excited about it, but I also would much rather start them now than when it's, when it's too late. You know, I was 16, 17 when I found out that I was raped when I was 13, um, because it hadn't been decided that I was old enough for that information, which misses the mark for when most abuse happens, um, so yeah, we've been having conversations about body autonomy since she was a baby. Um, as soon as she was able to be in charge of her own body in terms of her hygiene, we we let that be the case. So nobody's touching her but her and her doctor. Um, we use proper names for everything. has always been really important. And this is just the next part of that conversation. Um, and the main thing for me will just be about answering her questions honestly. And I think having that conversation at 7-8 is going to be much easier than having that conversation at 16 where it will feel devastating and she'll have all of the context. And, you know, I, I want to start now. Um, so I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be honest with her questions. Um, there's not a whole lot about, I think the next book is about specifically sexual assault, because while we talk a lot about rape culture in, in the circles I run in anyway, um, and we're aware of the prevalence of sexual assault, there's not a lot of information about what happens next. Um, there's been so many ways this has popped up in my life, including just like ongoing PTSD symptoms when in intimate situations, which is the worst. Like it's, 
the worst feeling in the world when my husband's being affectionate with me and my body freaks out, Yeah, you know, and I love him and he's being loving. And that's also really hard to explain in that moment because I don't know how many boyfriends I've had who have said to me, I'm not your rapist Yeah, and how awful that must feel for them. And yet my body is responding very strongly anytime I have a no in me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and sometimes just being married, that no is like, well, I'm washing dishes. Like, it's not a big thing, but any no in my body historically becomes a fight or flight situation that is is not helpful and, and is really gets in the way of being intimate in the ways that I want to be. The most powerful thing I've done for my own healing is, and we kind of talked about this before, but embracing my triggers, um, seeing that is my body asking me to remember something and go back there again. Um, A big trigger for me a year ago was watching a friend of mine who's in a mastermind group um, that I'm in who's a Krav Maga instructor train. She posted all these videos of her training and it freaked me out. And I was like, okay, you are like freezing up watching her hit things. Why? (laughs) Why? Um, And I realized there's all kinds of layers to that. Why didn't I fight harder? Um, Why didn't, why didn't I fight harder? Like, could I have gotten away? Did I somehow ask for it because I didn't like all of this, all of this was popping up watching a woman embrace her anger. And I realized that I hadn't really gotten angry like I needed to and also that I needed to learn to fight and so that led to this retreat we do and it's actually going to be in Kansas City this year in October and but it's called the I am power retreat and the most beautiful experience I've ever had we trained in Krav Maga for two days and on the last day um, there were no men the whole time on the last day we had men come in in the big combat suits And we got three passes individually. The first pass, they came at us and we um, set a a boundary, said back off or whatever, like we had been trained to do, and they respected it. The second time, um, they didn't respect it and we fought back. And the third time, we got to pick a scenario of the ones that we had learned. And we primarily focused on the ways in which women are typically abused. And I got to watch, I'm going to cry, (laughs) I got to watch woman after woman relive something and you could just feel that this is a place she's been before but choosing to go there again and winning this time yeah. oh, man. it was amazing Sorry, oh my god okay <laughs> <laughs> so i got to go back there you yeah, know yeah. um and and most women did choose a sexual assault scenario but some people chose like choking um and and I won and this guy I was so grateful for him and he did not look unlike my first attacker um we were supposed to Krav Maga is all about getting out of any situation in seven seconds or less so it is violent and it is not about peacekeeping and like most martial arts it is seven seconds or less get out get home safe so it's also not really about beating people up it's about getting out of the situation so I was supposed to buck him off of me and run but instead I bucked him off of me put him on the ground and couldn't stop hitting his face and he said afterwards they have a signal that they do they put their hands up by their ears was the signal that they had decided upon and um, when they'd had enough because they are getting hurt you know um, but they were also getting paid and they were excited to be there because this is a kind of training that's very unique and not very many people get to experience and he said that he was trying to hold on to his helmet um, without doing the signal because it was slipping but he could see how much I really needed to hit him in the face <laughs> 
so grateful. <laughs> I really did. I needed to hear yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. um, and I've really not been the same since then. I'm not I'm not scared. I don't think I knew that I was scared walking around um, all of the time, but I'm not scared of people. I get more comments that I'm intimidating, um, specifically from men, and I don't hate it. Um, because I got my fight back. I don't feel like anyone's victim anymore. And I know that heaven forbid I ever be put in a situation like that again, I would know exactly what to do. Um, so that was huge. And that was all from me just not shutting down and going, this is freaking me out. So that's probably something I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love that. This is something I did a video not long ago about getting curious about your triggers and Mm -hmm. getting up under them. Because that's how we get them complete, you know, and get, getting to that place. And But, boy, that's, that takes a lot of courage, friend. It was awesome. And I'm excited to do it again. Um, and that's called the I Am Power Retreat. And it's going to be in Kansas yes. City in October. Yes. Okay. And it's IamPowerRetreat.com. Um, my role in that is um, talking from the standpoint of having been a survivor of assault, um, but also I do work around um, grounding, emotional power, this this idea that empaths can't handle the world is I'm not into, so how to set emotional boundaries. So I do that sort of softer work, um, and then we do a lot of hitting stuff, and it's, it's amazing. I, it's like... Uh, that last day, the room is just so full of righteous rage yeah. um, that we don't get to experience, I think, much. And it ugh, it's just the best, oh. best ever. Wow. Sign me up. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be there. That sounds perfect. And that actually sort of uh, lends us into... Uh, we're kind of coming up here on an hour, and I hate that because I could seriously talk to you for forever. Um, but What's wrong? I think we like five-hour podcast. Heck yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? I think we'll have to definitely have you back first of all, especially after the book comes out and you you've had some experience um, going on your book tour. I'd love to sort of see the response and hear back from you about you know how um, you know the women that you meet along the way because I think that you're, this is going to be very impactful. Just that. I mean, just the women that you're going to meet and the mothers that you meet who are going to be able to share that story with you. Um, but, you know, one of the, where can people find you? And if everybody's now going, aha, I've got my Aaron Brown moment now, and now I need more. Um, how, how do we find you? I'm, I am Aaron Brown everywhere. So Facebook.com slash I am Aaron Brown. Snapchat is like my new favorite thing. Loving it. No. <laughs> Um, Instagram, if you want to email me, it's Brown at gmail. And my website is com. So I'm pretty easy to find. Perfect. And so Letters to Lola comes out. It's out. It's out. Oh, it's out, out. Okay. I know. I, I saw the copy. I just didn't know if this was an advanced one. No, it is out. It's on Amazon. Nice. Okay. So Am- Letters to Lola is on Amazon. And as is, is also available on, a- yes. on Amazon. Perfect. And so we'll link those as well in the show notes. Um, so that people can just go there and automatically go buy them. And I think everybody should go buy them. Moms, it's a must to go buy Letters to Lola. Please do that if you have moms of daughters. But I think moms of children, mom, parents need to read this book. It's not even just about um, our daughters. I think that even our sons deserve some of this honesty, deserve all of this honesty. It's just a different 
thought process around that. Um, so my, we do a little end thing to our podcast, and my part is to ask the question, um, if you could tell our listeners the one thing, that one piece of advice that they could be doing right now that's going to be sort of putting them in the work and, and be life-changing or be doing something that can keep them on this path, what would that be? You know, my centering point for the last several years has been in any moment to ask myself if I am living my values. And so, you know, when it came to beating myself up about my body, it was like, well, what's the value here? (laughs) Do I really think that this is what makes me a valuable person? Do I really think that this is um, the way in which I and women should be judged? If not, why is this my thought process around around this? So anytime that you're struggling, I would ask ask myself, is this, am I in alignment with my values? Is this my value system? Am I giving the time and energy to this that I actually believe it deserves? Um, which is a powerful way for me to reframe anything that's happening. It's really easy to get caught up in a perceived failure or a conflict or whatever. Um, and so asking myself if this is in alignment with my values, the time and energy I'm giving to something is a huge way for me to push forward um, in alignment, which is what we're all shooting for. Like, am I... Am I living the way I believe I should be? Love it. Brilliant. And um, my part of getting to end our podcast is to get to acknowledge our guests. So if you will permit me to, I would like to acknowledge you, Aaron, and appreciate you if I can get through without crying. (laughs) Uh, I just, you know, I get told all the time um, that I'm a trailblazer and that I am courageous and you know all this stuff for being an out trans man and that's uh, that's every time I think of trailblazer it's like you like you are out there um paving a path for women that is so necessary like here we are dealing with this um HB3 bathroom issue in North Carolina and they're trying to say that it's about keeping women safe (laughs) and the reality is very few people are doing much to keep women safe in this country but you are and that's who you are for women in our culture and our world and all people really not just women because you're educating men you're educating us on how to educate our kids like I'm just so blessed to know you and appreciate you so much for who you are and what you do. So thank you. Well, thanks for all the crying today. Yeah, I know, right? Ah, I'm sure it won't be the last. <laughs> um, Perfect. That's, yeah, it's powerful stuff we're up to. Oh, so thank man. You for- oh, hey, well, I think that we're going to have a hard time um, letting signing off because now we're all just <laughs> a mess. Uh, so we're going to leave it at that. And... Um, Thank you so much, Erin, for joining us. And um, we are super excited to hear everything that you're doing. Find you on IamAaronBrown.com. And thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. We hope that you got a little slice of practical transformation that you can use in your personal and business life. And here's what we want to leave you with. 
Whether you are just starting on this journey of practical transformation and just starting with baby step affirmations just to focus you in a direction of loving yourself or whether you've been doing this work for a long time and you can literally say, I am thrilled with the path my life is on, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with right now, you're right where you're supposed to be. The thing that's in front of you is the thing that's going to have you at your most powerful once you accomplish it. And what I know and what we know is if you're willing to take baby steps with progress, not perfection, and just staying on that horse, you're going to get there. And we're going to get there with you. So thanks for being with us. Now, don't forget to go and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Let us know what you think. And reach us at info at doing, uh, sorry, info at jayandbecca.com. And that will let us know if you have any topics you want us to cover or anybody you want us to interview. Maybe you. You can reach us on our Facebook page too, right? Yep. Yeah, totally. So um, that's just facebook.com slash jayandbecca. All right. We'll see you around next time. Bye, Thanks for joining Jay. us.